0: What's happening, podcast guests? Yep, you guessed it. Another fantastic, fantastic episode of the Map Baxter Show. Hanging out with Thomas Smalley. Thomas is just like... Uh, if you want to learn about... How to launch a company and sell a company, and you want to take your company to the next level, and you want to find out all the ins and outs of M and A. Uh, Thomas is your guy, in, in so many different ways, he's been a part of like thousands of different of transactions. He's helped advise companies, he's helped coach companies, he's helped prep companies, he's helped companies going through difficult times while trying to sell a business. I mean, he's just somebody who's 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 just been there and done that and knows how to help people uh when you're looking when you're going through the process of selling your company um and especially in the SaaS and e-commerce world as well too so thomas thank you so much for being a guest in this episode uh one because obviously i got a little free advice out of it uh so i'm very grateful for that but more importantly I'm just uh, amazed by the sheer volume of transactions uh, that you've helped companies um, at the you know, B2B SaaS or just software uh, world in general. So you have done some amazing work, impacted tons and tons of people's lives, and uh, made a lot of people money, which is awesome. So Thomas, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast, and uh, I hope the listeners enjoy this just as much as I did. Thomas, thanks for being a guest on this podcast.
1: Hey, Matt. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: So where in the world are you recording from?
1: Uh, I'm just outside San Francisco at the moment.
0: I love it. I love it. Is that where you're originally from?
1: Uh, no, I'm actually from the UK. I moved out to the US as the company grew um, five years ago now. Um, so I'm currently in San Francisco or just outside. We have an office in New York. We have an office in Miami and we have an office in London. So I'm often in one of those three cities as well.
0: I love it. I was going to peg your uh, your accent maybe from Ohio, Indiana. <laughs> 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 so, uh, give me, give me the life story. I'd love to hear the background.
1: Sure. So, uh, back in 2010, um, I was a college student. I was for those of you who were around back then, it was a bit of a recession. The job market was not particularly good. So it wasn't a very good year to be graduating. So I decided to launch a business in my year after graduating. And I think I made a deal with myself that if I could make money and pay my rent, then I would keep doing that. And if I couldn't, then I'd go get a—that's what you'd call like a regular job. Um, so I'd been doing various things throughout college. I think like all college students do to try and make a little bit of extra um, extra cash. I tried, you name it. I probably tried it to to, to make money. Um, at the time, I had found one thing that was being reasonably successful, which was buying and selling small websites and and domain names um, which back then no one really knew about there were a couple of up-and-coming marketplaces but it wasn't really a very mainstream business model Um, I in the month I graduated I wrote a book about how to buy and sell websites for for money essentially Um, and off the back of that book we built a little bit of a uh, community so back then it was a forum Now it'd probably be like a slack channel or a discord channel or whatever. But back then it was uh, a forum. Uh, We did a little bit of uh, coaching, various other things to teach people about what I'd been doing Um, off the back of that. The intention was, I thought the business was going to be selling courses, essentially, but people who took the course that I did not really know anything about would come to me and say, Hey, Thomas, I've read your book. It's really great. You've told me how to buy and sell. I actually have an established business can you sell it for me? Um, So back in 2010, that's how I fell into guess what is now a thriving mergers and acquisitions business, which is essentially in simple terms, we help people sell their business. Um, But I fell into that in 2010 by helping people who had gone through the course or read the book, helping them how to sell their business. Um, And then we've really compounded from there. So now, across everything we do, so it's not just m but the vast majority of the business, we're 130 people. Like I said, we have four main offices. We also have a few remote team members um, as well. Uh, the vast majority of our business is still exactly the same as it was back then, which is teaching people how to, or sorry, not teaching, physically selling businesses for people. We do not do any teaching or coaching anymore. Most of the I guess good content I used to sell back then is now content we essentially give away for free, either on podcasts, like for example, this, we give away a lot more information um, on our blog or other content we publish. So that's what we did 2010, fell into it almost by accident. And then the business has really compounded from there and we've just continued, continued growing and now we're what, 2022, so 12 years in and the business is still going strong.
0: Love it. So um, I know a small bit about kind of domain and domain purchasing. Not not any expert by any means, but 2010 compared to now, um, was there still a lot of like kind of domain squatting happening? Where for people who don't know, basically somebody comes in, buys a ton of you you know URLs, has no intention of actually building anything with it, but uh, basically holding to sell. It's similar to like a, a rental property that they hope to flip one day. How did was that true? Like, what was the what was the domain market then compared to now? What would be different? What would be pretty similar? Kind of walk me through a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, there was a, a little bit of that, and that's why. So very early on, so maybe even like before two thousand and ten, I stopped really doing anything related to undeveloped domains, and then f- started focusing on websites, which obviously still have a domain, but you've got the business element in there. So the value of a a business is essentially derived by the cash flow it generates. Whereas a domain is way more subjective. You show 10 experts a, a domain name, they'll give you 10 completely different valuations. If you show 10 experts, um, a, a business, and they're valuation experts, you will get similar numbers. Um, so one of the big challenges in the domain industry was the inconsistency of valuation. And to your point, uh, like not motivated sellers, people buying domains with no intention of selling them, no intention of ever developing them. Um, so I never really liked that market because I didn't really understand how value was derived and it was much more consistent pivoting into buying and selling websites. Um, and now today we, we don't touch domains at all, so if you came to us with a domain to sell, um, it's not something we would help with, um, so we only focus on developed businesses.
0: Yeah, I love that. It makes a lot of sense. Um, one of the other things that I've I've seen a few do. So, uh, our former CEO, CRO, uh, excuse me, our current company president who was the former CRO of job.com certainly learned a lot about obviously with that domain there's certainly an asset behind that. So learning sort of what uh, how valuable uh, the uh .com names sort of the dictionary.coms but on top of that um, what I've also seen is that people will buy sizable domains like that for you know, an absurd premium, um, but then also use it as a way to sort of, donate that asset in exchange for stock for a company that might want to go public so that you're seeing some of that in a lot of dis- different industries where somebody will say i own this domain i'm happy to give this domain uh to the company in exchange for you know cash or assets or value it's just been fascinating to learn quite a bit about that i know obviously you've you guys have evolved a ton uh in your business today but that that world is still fascinating to me
1: yeah you know exactly there's lots of different i guess sub-industries as well so people who buy and sell domains, people who buy and sell businesses, people who buy and sell both, people who buy domains and then develop them, people who buy websites and then buy a premium domain to, I guess, improve the business. So lots of different things going on.
0: Yeah, I love it. So um, obviously throughout the course of your journey, uh, you guys have expanded from um, you know, sort of offering some it, it kind of advice, some thoughts around uh, what M&A is, and then all of a sudden to helping people you know, buy and sell their companies uh, for your firm, and also, I guess, for your general interest. Uh, do you prefer buy side, sell side? For uh, those who don't know a ton about M and A, what obviously, other than I have a company and I want to I want your help selling it, versus I have money and I want your help buying companies. There is the obvious, but what would people not really understand at the surface level of the difference between sort of representing buy and sell side?
1: Yeah, so two quite different things. So. Almost all of our businesses sell side. So, so
0: you're, you're coming alongside business owners that want to ultimately sell their company and helping represent them.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's right. So we're represented by the seller. We help them sell. We would also describe a buyer as our client because yep. we still have to provide a level of service to the buyer to actually get a deal done. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, if there's a, um, a, no, a dispute or a contentious point or it's it's 5050 which direction we should go we're paid by the seller so we work for the seller um if you are if you have money and you want to buy a business there's the vast majority of people doing that do not hire buy side firms they do it themselves and that's generally speaking because they'll be a bit more sophisticated than the average seller if they're actively looking to buy businesses um so they will do their own search whether they buy a business represented by an M&A firm like um, us, or whether they buy a business privately. Um, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that if you're a seller and you own a business, it almost always makes sense to hire an M&A firm to represent you if your business is big enough. You will get a better deal than you will yourself, or you will get a deal if you otherwise wouldn't get one yourself. and much like a good accountant or a good attorney, a good M&A firm should pay for themselves. So obviously you have to pay fees as part of that service, but that should really be offset by the money you're making that you otherwise wouldn't be. Um, and then on the buy side, it's a little bit different. A lot of people, a lot of buyers would not complain, but they'll comment that if you acquire through an MA firm like us, you'll be paying more than you may do privately. But a lot of buyers are willing to do that because they like the consistency of the process and the professionalism we add to it. Um, Whereas if you're buying privately, you might be able to get a better deal. um, But deals can be way more messy, way less consistent, um, way more issues that you wouldn't be able to flag up front, which which really kind of reiterates the point as to why as a seller, you should hire an M&A firm because buyers know they can get the best deals privately. I will always complain that valuations are too high if they come to us and we're representing a seller.
0: No, it, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, my my exposure to it is, uh, so Thomas, a little bit of background on me. I own an um, HR tech software company. So we've gone through um, some various different uh, capital raises. Uh, we wrapped up a convertible note in the fall going through our series A as we speak. and. Um, even in my small world, uh, you know, obviously it's a little different than bringing in an investment banker or, a you know, M&A firm or anything like that. But knowing that like so much of my role right now is we have, you know, 15, 16, 17 employees on the team and I have a full-time job of raising capital. And so the idea of, bringing in like just the peace of mind to bring in a professional firm uh, to help with that. Not not even necessarily bringing in the, the capital, but just somebody who's thinking about it day in and day out. Like when you're trying to sell your company or buy a company, the idea of you still have a business to run and yet you have this whole other full-time job of either selling one or buying one or whatever it may be. I'm sure just the peace of mind of having somebody come alongside A, who's done it before, B, who brings a level of expertise, C, who... Operates a level of professionalism as you alluded to, and really just like literally the peace of mind of having somebody else alongside for the ride to help you who's got your best interest in mind. I I can only imagine that just scales when you're getting ready to sell and buy versus, you know, just raise capital too.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's a big part of it as well. It's kind of like almost having a, I mean, most people who have built a seven or eight figure business are very competent and theoretically could manage a process themselves, but there's a lot of things you don't know about until you've been through the process multiple times over the years we've we've closed 1200 deals you learn a lot over the course of 1200 deals and every deal has something new that we haven't seen before but it also has a hundred things we have seen over and over again that you wouldn't necessarily learn about from reading a book or speaking to a friend or peer who may have sold a business as well
0: so over 1,200 transactions, obviously, we're not going to get into any details of those transactions, but like, what would be right down the fairway of a typical company that you guys would represent? Like, what would be just a standard sort of generalist deal that it'd be like, yep, this is what we've done. We've seen, we, we know this type at least relatively well enough to feel comfortable to represent. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So firstly, we only represent online businesses. So by that, we would define a software company or a SaaS company. Uh, is a good fit for us that's approximately a third of our business uh, or an e-commerce business so that might be selling on their own store online or it might be selling on a third-party marketplace like amazon uh, that's also about a third of our business and then the other third is what we call content businesses which would be things like uh, blogs nude web news websites um digital products um, and things like that and then we represent other types of businesses as well, which might overlap uh, the different business models or sometimes will represent service businesses, which might be providing services to those kind of um, businesses. And then we generally go anywhere up to a $100 million in valuation. So if you have a billion dollar business, you don't call us. If you have a hundred dollar business, you don't call us. But If you have a, a million dollar business or a 50 million dollar business, you do.
0: Um, I like it a lot. So um, what would be like the the difference? Um, obviously, there's the just general understanding, but what would be the difference of representing sort of an online business versus, you know, the same sort of firm as you guys are and don't, I don't, I'm not undermining that, but like same sort of firm as you guys that would help represent hundred million dollar manufacturing, what would be like an area of expertise? Is it just simply like, Hey, I understand how these businesses work better than these businesses. And that's that, um, is it just, Hey, there's so many transactions and deals. You just got to pick your niche and focus or kind of walk me through a little bit of like, yeah, you're helping sell companies, but obviously like anything, you got to have a little bit of a niche and here's why walk, walk me through a little bit of that.
1: Yeah, so firstly, I'm definitely not an expert in 100 million dollar manufacturing businesses. Um, But so my business partner who joined the company in 2012, um, he worked in so we we went to college together. He worked in like big M&A before joining FE. So he he came and he'd worked on multi billion dollar transactions. And I was working on $10,000 transactions when he joined. Um, And essentially, what we've done between the two of us is apply my industry knowledge to his M&A knowledge and skills. And what we've essentially tried to create is a service whereby if you hire us to sell a $10 million business, that if you were being represented by a large investment bank that you might have heard of on a, say, $100 million deal, that you will get a like-for-like service. Um, And then we've built a lot of things around that. So we've most of our team have worked in big investment banks or big accounting firms um, in the past. So the level of service we're providing is very similar. So the only real difference between, say, a $10 million SaaS business that we're representing, a $100 million manufacturing business, the process is going to be very similar, other than the fact there'll be some nuances for the business model. Um, but the firm itself, as in, we know a lot about SaaS. I know almost nothing about manufacturing. So you're essentially paying for the industry expertise and the process expertise. Um, But theoretically you could train me to sell a manufacturing business. And what I would need to learn about is more about manufacturing. It wouldn't be the differences in the process between a hundred million dollar deal and a $10 million deal. Because essentially they're functionally the same with with a few nuances, but they're very similar.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Um... So hypothetically, let's say you were talking to a startup founder, uh, built a SaaS business, does a million plus um, ARR, uh, committed revenue, growing the business. Um, Do you find that uh, typically, like in the SaaS world, obviously things are moving so fast and usually my guess is, and I could totally be wrong, but these are like relatively young companies. These are not hundred year old software companies. These are less than 10 year old or maybe a little bit older, but like, do they typically call you too late like hey i got an offer now i need somebody to help represent us or hey i'm tired it's time to move on or i've got something else like do typically do you find that oftentimes you guys are coming in early in the relationship and you're just a phone call away when they're ready do you find that typically people could do 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 a little bit better job of you know top of mind like hey i should call you and prep for this in advance or how, how does sort of the engagement relationship works and i hope that's a safe question to ask
1: No, no, it's it's a good question. So we prefer the conversation to be as early as possible. So the majority of what I'd say, like our perfect client will reach out to us many years before they're ready to sell. They will speak to us. They will usually go through the valuation process, which we offer free um, to potential clients. We'll tell them what their business is worth, and they'll then. So we might say, Matt, your business is worth five million dollars, and you say, All right, well, Thomas, I want. $10 million for my business. So we established it's not the right time to sell now. But by the process of going through that uh, valuation, we I guess, with you as well can help identify some things you might need to work on to build your business to be worth 10 million. Or maybe you have someone who wants to build to 20 million or 2 million, there's no right or wrong answer to how big you want to build your business to that's a very personal um, decision. So we go through that process early. And it, what that really does is help set clear expectations. Um, we do, however, get a lot of people who do approach us. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it too late, but they a common reason for someone to come to us is they have tried to sell themselves privately and the process has fallen apart. Deals that like, try and happen privately fall apart at a very high rate. For various reasons that we do not we, have we, time to go into, but
0: we uh, we ourselves have looked at um, doing two acquisitions, and it's uh, it's even deals that you like that even agreed upon finances are there, and there's the ability to get it's hard to get deals done. I mean, it's really yeah. challenging to get deals done, and that's why you. I mean, obviously you guys and there's others, but you guys are professionals at this. It's deal getting. It, Actually getting to the point where you can acquire another company, roll up another company, merge another company, sell another company, whatever it is. It's, it's hard. So.
1: Yeah. De- deal, deals are always hard. That That's not something that's ever changed. I guess we just know more about what those hard things are and we can identify them in advance. Uh, so I can tell you there's a problem with a deal a month before you could tell me there's a problem because I would have spoiled it from things I've seen before. Um, but we do get, so we do get a lot of people who come to us because they've failed at running a process themselves. Sometimes they've, Hired a business broker or an M and A firm, who are like cheap, and often if their fees are less than ours, there's a reason why they're less than ours, and we're never going to be the cheapest firm you'll you'll hire. But someone who is charging, say, half of what we are in terms of commission, there's probably a reason for that. So a lot of people have failed processes where they've hired an advisor. Um, sometimes people come to us if there's been like a change in probably the most common reason. Catalyst for people selling is like a change in circumstances, either personal or professional. So maybe businesses started declining. They thought it was going to grow forever, but it's not. That's often pretty hard. It's not impossible to sell as such, but it's going to make it way less likely. Um, So in situations like that, um, we may say, "Hey, actually, we can't help you at the moment." Some people will will sell because something's changed, maybe they end divorced or something like that they were obviously not expecting or hopefully not expecting um, and they they need money or they need to kind of change direction or whatever. Some people come to us because they have another business they've launched and they like the other business more or it's growing faster or maybe they've got funding and the investors want them to sell. Uh, Lots of reasons that can happen from that perspective, which are are positive. But what we spend a lot of our time, and this is why I really like this question from you, a lot of our time getting people to speak to us as early as they can and producing content to teach people um, as much as we can about the process. Um, So over the years, so from day one of the business to today, it's become a lesser problem over time. And I think that's because we've done a good job of putting so much educational material out that people now realize they need to speak to us early and the average seller today, there's way more M&A content out there than there was 10 years ago. So I'd say the average seller is better educated and better informed than they were 10 years ago, which ultimately is uh, mostly good for us.
0: I like it. I like it. Um, So what is the, uh, what's the broader mission of obviously what you guys are trying to accomplish? I mean, you've done, 1,200 transactions today, I think is what you said. Is the goal to get to 2,400 transactions? Is it you guys are trying to expand and reach a certain scale? Is it keep doing more of what you're doing? What what would be sort of the the dream vision of what you guys have built so far in the next phase with it?
1: Yeah, so continue growing for now. I mean, if you ask me years ago, we've already far surpassed any of our early goals. So we wanted to surpass a billion dollars in total deals represented, which we've done by now. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. I have to no edit that one out. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to get a drink. Um, yeah, so we've surpassed a billion dollars in, in deals now. So if you ask me five years ago, I would say, well, I'm going to quit and retire once we get past a billion dollars. I think the thing that keeps us going and keeps us growing is there is forever more demand for what we are doing and the fulfillment I get, and I think the team get from helping someone sell their business, which for almost everybody we work with is the biggest financial event in their life to date, and probably will be for the rest of their life as well. The vast majority of people only ever sell one business, um, and that's all they, all they ever sell. So it's very fulfilling from our side because we kind of are a part of that process, and that's really what gets you coming back coming back to the office or back to your desk every day is 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 that um so yeah we're continuing to grow for now um lots of other things we are rolling out in terms of services so at the moment like i said we're primarily a sell-side firm but we have all of the skills and knowledge internally to be able to do buy-side representation as well so that's something we're going to roll out over the the next 12 months um but uh, we we have that now we're 12 years old and have done a lot of deals you have that compounding effect of word of mouth. Like people who sell a business are generally going to be happy and will generally tell their friends and kind of peers about the process, and hopefully that involves mentioning us. So we kind of continue to grow a lot from that.
0: Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's uh, the combination of you are coming alongside somebody during probably the largest transaction from their financial history to. Um, seeing them sort of transition into being, you know, done selling the company. I mean, talk about a referral network. If you guys effectively do a good job and help them, excuse me, get even more money than what they were planning on, or get the exact amount of money they were planning on, I mean, you got to imagine you're going to get some pretty positive referrals. So I can see how that how that would uh, be, you know, a strong impact for people. So I love it. So you know, broader speaking, for you, I mean, what what what's if if you were to you know Uh, pass away tomorrow sort of thing and people were talking at your funeral and were to say Thomas helped me with blank and you got to choose what they said. What would you want that statement to be?
1: So I think, again, if you asked me five years ago, I probably would just talk about clients. So um, clients talk about help me sell my business. I think one of the things that developed for me personally is we now have said about 130 people and I'm CEO, so Technically, everyone indirectly reports into me. Obviously, I, I do not have 130 direct reports. Um, but I definitely think a little bit more is now about kind of developing the people within the business as well, rather than just clients as well. But for now, I'd say the majority of it would still be clients who feel like... I think the fulfilling part for me now is they, a lot of our clients don't actually know me and they don't actually speak to me they kind of have Effie International, the company has helped them, um, which is kind of part of saying I've, I've built, but it's not Thomas personally helped me. Which is, I think, when you know you've actually started to build a scalable business, is when all of your clients do not know you by first name. I haven't necessarily met them all, haven't spoken to them all. They've worked with the team. That's, a, I think, the fulfilling part for me as well, knowing that the team that I'm also spending time developing, nurturing, coaching, all of that kind of stuff. Are, delivering the same well a better level of service than I, I i would myself
0: is that a is that a weird feeling for you like not knowing all your clients
1: uh to, to an extent i feel like as with a lot of things in business i think things you are working on and focusing on and matter to you change over time yeah so years ago i would have said no i want to have my own business because i want to know all of my clients it would be really cool they'll all love me but the reality is if the only time I really speak to clients now is if there's problems. I don't actually yep. spend much of my time speaking to them if there's not a problem. So if I'm not speaking to clients, that's ironically a good thing.
0: Yeah, no news is good news. I, I can relate to that a little bit. I mean, in the software world, you start to scale the clients and we've got you know 250 customers now. And there's occasionally days where I'm going through the list and I'm like, wait a minute, that's a customer? That's cool. I had no idea. And it's, it's like, in one sense, I feel kind of guilty because it's like, man, I probably should have maybe a little bit more details on it. But also at the same time, it's like, if they're using their pain and they're effectively enjoying the product and getting the value that we promised or more, well, I think we built something pretty cool. So I, I, in a small capacity kind of can, can, uh, empathize what, you know, what you're saying there, which I love. Um, yeah, exactly. so my, 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 favorite question, on the whole, whole planet is uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: I think just doing more of the same, knowing that you are, I know it sounds really cheesy, but it's all right. ultimately we're changing lives. Um, maybe in the, very capitalist way of changing your life but I think also for a lot of people what when most people sell their business they actually think it's going to be a purely financial outcome they're gonna be like well I'm gonna be a millionaire or multi-millionaire or I'll be able to pay off my mortgage or whatever and a lot of people think that's what they will find most fulfilling but I think a lot of people you get that sense of kind of achievement and like their purpose has kind of been fulfilled because they're like well I've I've sold my business now. And then what a lot of people actually end up doing, they think they're, they don't want to work again or anything like that. And then they um, ultimately end up going back to launching another business. Maybe it will be a slightly different type of business. So a lot of people sell their company and then maybe they had a hundred employees and they actually decide they don't want to manage anyone again. So they go back to maybe working freelance or maybe they write a book or maybe they do some coaching or whatever. Because they can do that without employees and other people love the idea of managing people um yeah that, for me that's what gets me out of bed in the morning it's kind of the outcomes we can generate for clients and how life-changing that is and i i know obviously i do not meet all of our clients but i have met a lot of our clients eventually i would have met a lot of our clients it might be we, we put on an event and i meet them a year after they've worked with us so i guess the fulfilling part is when they tell me what they're doing now. Like, hey, I bought a boat. I'm sailing around the world for a year. That's <laughs> the fulfilling part.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I love it. Um, well, Thomas, for for anybody who wants to either reach out to the firm, reach out to you directly, understand more about what you guys have going on, follow the content. Obviously, you guys are putting out a lot of amazing content for prepping people to sell their business or buy a company or whatever it may be. But what uh, what's the best way for people to follow along, reach out to you, reach out to the team, uh, and, and get to know you guys more?
1: Sure, Yes. Yeah, so if you want to learn more reach out best thing to do is go to the fe international.com website and then if you navigate to the part that's most relevant to you so maybe you want to buy a business maybe you own a business and you're thinking about getting a valuation like i said they're free um, if you navigate through the relevant person the team will reach out to you we also have tons of we don't sell anything else we don't have a course you can buy we don't have a book you can buy we have tons of free content we've written or like done videos for and, and give away so go check that out if you're active on social media say twitter linkedin i'm personally quite active on but you can find us like as a team on most social channels um to your point i think it's always useful to start building a relationship with an m&a firm reasonably early if you're building up a business to sell even if you don't necessarily reach out to us now i think it's worth at least reading some of the content and familiarizing yourself with what an eventual exit might look like.
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been awesome.
1: Cool. Well, thanks so much, Matt. Really appreciate it.